Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. San Remo, Italy, 1981. The sun beats down on the seaside town as the French woman with dark hair and a wry smile whips her Quattro S1 around its hairpin turns. Exuberant fans line the course, only feet away from her on either side. Her navigator calmly utters directions as they rally over tarmac and gravel. They're in first place, but not by much. Fearlessness. Focus. Enjoy the ride. Words she lived by, and words that would launch her across the finish line to make history as the first woman to win a World Rally Championship event. The first lady of rallying, La Femme qui Durange, the French Tigress. You don't earn this many nicknames by being mediocre. So it's no surprise they all belong to the fastest woman in the world, Michelle Mouton. Today we're looking at this rally icon and the 12-year journey that would cement her place in automotive history as the most tenacious and successful woman in any top-level motorsport. This is Past Gas. Hell yeah, dude! The the black volcano is such a sick. Name. That's a yeah. great nickname. So welcome back to Pass Gas, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I am your host Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my co-hosts James Pumphrey, chugga 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 toot toot, <laughs> and it's lit. <laughs> are you are you taking are you taking Travis Scott's ad lib? Huh? Huh? I don't know. That just sounded like it just sounded like you said it's lit in a way. No, I made that. That's my, I made that up. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's lit. Like, yeah, the that's way the way you're now. saying that. How did you come up with that? It just came to me. Like I was like, I thought something was lit that I was doing, and I was like, it's lit. <laughs> and then I was like, damn, I'm gonna start. I should start saying that. We'll come back to that. And my other co-host, Joe Weber. Uh, fired up and keep it juiced. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one I'm trying to get. I like it. I think the more catchphrases you have, Joe, the better. Joe, we got sent that video uh, by those guys in... Um, uh, super cool. Huntsville, Alabama. That's right. Putting it down for Huntsville. That was very cool. If you guys are listening, uh, big shout out. They said our catchphrases... With more confidence than we have ever said them. We should just have them on the podcast to do <laughs> that. To do, do our catchphrases. Yeah. I'll, we'll look into it. Yeah. They can do my, we the best. That's yours too? <laughs> we the no, best yeah, podcast. I, I think you're going to run into some legal issues with that one. We the best podcast. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So today we're uh, discussing Michelle Mouton, uh, a woman we've. This is, is this the first time we've discussed a woman on the show? This might be the first episode dedicated to a lady, um, which is a bit embarrassing. I would say so, yeah. Uh, but 
no better woman to start off this trend with than uh, Michelle Mouton. Uh, she is easily one of the best rally drivers ever. Yeah, she's a beast. So I'm, I'm really stoked that we can tell this story. Uh, even if it took us a little while to get to it, that's on us. But it, but it's interesting because motorsport is really like one of the only sports where women and men compete against each other. That's true. Like she's not the best female driver ever. She's one of the best rally drivers ever. Yeah, regardless of gender, she's mm-hmm. one of the greatest. And it honestly, like just watching a couple videos of her rally driving makes me sweat all over. Yeah, she's like she's the person who when we talk about like all rally cars now are all wheel drive, but when Audi showed up with Quattro and just started smoking everybody. That was Michelle Mouton. That was Young Mouton, baby. Young Mouton on the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, um, to your point, James, like drag racing, of course, is uh, or was kind of dominated by women at one point. All the Force sisters were just tearing it up. There's really no reason for it to be separated by gender in, in motorsport, really. Mm-hmm. Of course, right now there's the there's the W series, which is a the like a women's open wheel series. Uh, but I think that's more for them to kind of get exposure and prove themselves in like a Formula car. But I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of those drivers come up in the Formula One soon. Hopefully, it yeah. would just make it more interesting for crying out loud. If nothing else, yeah, I agree. Let's get into it, eh? All right, <laughs> let's fire it up. <laughs> let's fire it up. All right, Michelle Mouton entered. This world on June 23rd, 1951 in the French Riviera, more specifically, the idyllic town of Grasse, 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 more specifically, the idyllic town of Grasse, France, the perfume capital of the world. Grasse is surrounded by fields of aromatic flowers and home to France's oldest parfumerie, Gallimard. Look, I'm French, by far, French is the language that I have the hardest time pronouncing both words and names. I apologize profusely to anyone with a modicum of sense of how to pronounce this stuff. I think you're doing great. I think I think you're like right there. Thank you, Joe. Unlike many drivers whose family have a history in the sport, Mouton's family made a living growing roses and jasmine for the perfume industry. Mouton spent her youth skiing, doing ballet, and excelling in school. But just beyond the flower field sat the mountain stages used for local rallies, and it wouldn't be long before the engine notes trickling down into the valley beckoned to Michelle. Mouton discovered her love of cars at 14 years old when she would steal her father Pierre's Citroën 2CV and take it out for joyrides. Quote, For me at the time, a car always meant freedom and independence, she said. But driving wasn't something she could possibly see a future in. It's hard for anyone to envision that path from mere enjoyment to making something your life's purpose. But you could argue this especially for Michelle. Models for women on the racing stage were few and far between. So after graduating high school, Mouton took up odd jobs, working as a ski instructor, a care assistant in a home for the disabled, and eventually at her father's insurance company until she began studying to be a lawyer. But something unexpected would quickly put an end to that career path. Her entry into a competitive rock and roll dance contest. <laughs> That's how you got started, right, James? 
Yeah, I entered this rock and roll dance contest, and uh, I danced real good to this rock and roll. And uh, bing, bang, boom, a recruiter from Donut saw me. <laughs> it was dance till you drop, and, and people had to dance more than 24 hours. I didn't even drop. It was a Mr. Beast video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jenna Marbles, Marquez Brownlee, they're all in the same contest. They dropped. They dropped. PewDiePie dropped. Which is weird because these these are all YouTubers that are way bigger than me. And somehow I was in the <laughs> contest before I even worked for Donut. <laughs> yeah, how'd that happen? They saw you in that uh, Victoria Justice movie and they're like, hey, man. Yeah. Get in and here. And then it just so happened that Keemstar dropped out last second. James yeah. filled in. <laughs> yeah, they saw me say one line on Two Broke Girls and they were like, that guy's got the goods. <laughs> In 1972, Mutan attended the contest with her friend Jean Taibbi. Taibbi was a car enthusiast uh, and was about to make his amateur rally debut at the Tour de Corsa on the Isle of Corsica. He wasn't getting along with his co-driver and asked Mutan to practice the narrow, twisty course with him instead. She was a natural and became Taibbi's go-to navigator. In 1973, they entered the first ever World Rally Championship event at Monte Carlo. Just a quick refresher here. The World Rally Championship, or WRC, is a rallying series organized by the FIA, or the Federation Internationale Automobile. It's evolved since its inception, but generally speaking, the series is made up of special stages where drivers, each paired with a co-driver who handles navigation, compete over the course for multiple days. They're driving on closed roads, against the clock, often in treacherous conditions with driving surfaces ranging from gravel to dirt to ice and snow. It's international and therefore the most competitive. But Mutan also competed in the European Rally Championship, or ERC, which is similar to the WRC, just confined to Europe, as well as national rallies affiliated with neither the WRC or ERC. So there was 21-year-old Mutan, no experience under her belt, one of only a handful of female entrants. At the starting line in the passenger seat of a Peugeot 304S, 260 miles, 18 stages ahead of them. You can only imagine what was going on in her head. But they wouldn't be racing for long because they didn't actually finish. What? And they were hardly the only ones. Out of 278 starters, only 51 made it to the finish line. And that was in large part because something insane happened on the Burzet Plateau, one of the mountain pass stages. A blizzard caused a huge snowbank to form on the raceway, with only 51 cars making it through before the road was completely blocked. Rather than suspending the race, organizers insisted the stage would still run and disqualified the 140 cars that showed up after the blockade for lateness. This disproportionately affected independent racers or privateer teams like Taibi and Mutan, who had later starting times than the factory teams. In protest, a bunch of the disqualified privateers drove to a later stage and then blocked the road for the factory team still in the race, and they had to be disbanded by the police. This is wild. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> like, because they would have had to, like, turn around and then, like, go around. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so bogus. Like, three-quarters of the cars are, like, too late to race. That's when you like reschedule right yeah normally definitely you know you know what we should do guys we should go around and block it so they can't finish yeah <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like kind of petty the, but i love it 
<laughs> yeah, but like a number of people would have, would have to be like, yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good idea. Let's go do that together. <laughs> Undeterred by a lackluster first event, Mutan continued to co-drive for Taibi. As she participated in more and more rallies, her father worried for her well-being and figured she'd be safer behind the wheel rather than in the passenger seat. So he bought her a 1.6 liter Alpina Renault A110, the best French car. rally car at the time. Yeah, this thing's rear engine. It looks like a freaking, not like a big kind of shark, but like a like a sleeker kind of shark, like a like a blue shark. <laughs> I love these things. It, I've never driven one, obviously, because we don't have them in the U.S., uh, but in Dirt Rally, it's my favorite car. We just saw one in the in the um, Peterson Vault, like the Elf one. Yeah, it's we just so saw cool. that like a year and a half ago when we went there. I think it looks kind of like an upside-down bathtub. No way. Not a bathtub. I think it's kind of silly looking. You're kind of silly looking. No sh- <laughs> <laughs> that's my whole thing dude oh i didn't know it was such a sensitive subject i'm sorry anyway her dad told her he'd finance one season of rally racing for her to test her metal as a driver and if she failed she would have to go back to law school dang what an ultimatum hey you either have to be really good at racing or you're going to become a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> I will support this dream of yours. I will buy you the car. I will pay for the fuel. I will buy you the tires. I will pay the entrance fees. But if you are not good at the racing, you must return to law school and become a lawyer. <laughs> That's great. It sounded exactly like <laughs> Mr. Mouton. <laughs> How do you say uh how do you say thank you in French? Merci. Merci beaucoup, papa. <laughs> Speaking of merci, my one of my favorite bands is Gojira. Uh they're a metal band from France. And on their live album, after like every other song, they're always like, Merci beaucoup. And it's so <laughs> funny. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> all their songs all the lyrics are in english but then they, they break into the french for the yeah it's so it's so funny because you still have to be like you know have stage presence yeah but it'd be like thank you very much <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you tour as a metal band like how do you do that every night and just growl till your throat collapses i have no idea that reminds me i was so like a week ago when we uh kane and joe and i went uh camping I was supposed to see Deftones and Gojira that night, but because of oh, the global pandemic, I wasn't able to. Yeah. But I will say our camping trip was a, a very suitable substitution. Yeah. I pooped on a tree. On a tree? Yeah. I, what, I brought a shovel with me. This might be TMI. I brought a shovel with me with the intent of digging a hole. But see, yeah. I had whiskey for dinner, so I didn't have uh -huh. enough time. <laughs> without something happening so i just had to let it go on a tree though huh so my whole thing was like i'm gonna i'm gonna like lean against it in a squat uh, and then i then okay. i like am not gonna poop on my heels <laughs> okay oh that's okay. pretty good logic yeah they teach you that in the boy scouts Mouton made her driving debut in 1973 at the erc all women's rally paris saint raphael feminine 
Long name. Yeah. In a surprising finish for the newcomer, she placed fifth overall and first in her class. Wow. Bonjour, law school. <laughs> that's that's hello, law school. Oh. Uh, <laughs> bonsoir, law school. <laughs> As this new young female driver clocked consistently good results throughout 1973, closed-minded spectators and emasculated competitors suggested she only drove so fast because her car had a special engine. Uh, she's got a, uh, a, a, an LS swap, uh, Renault. <laughs> it isn't possible for a woman to drive this fast without a special engine. La femme has a two JZ GTA. That is the only reason she is winning. It's really funny, man. This shit just never changes, dude. It's the same thing. Like, yeah. you'll, I'll be like, I watch a lot of, uh, like, I've been getting into NASCAR and oval racing a lot lately, and I've been watching the ARCA series, which is like one of the feeder series for NASCAR. And uh, one of the competitors is Haley Deegan. Brian Deegan's daughter. Haley Deegan, yeah. biggest yeah. social media presence of like any driver. She, yeah. And did you know that? Like, it's just like she can't catch a break when it comes to like people, like particularly people in Twitch chats. It's like if she's not having a good race, which happens a lot in oval racing, and it's just like it's it's a it's a flip of the coin. Like she gets on. And then, like, if she is doing well, then somehow it's rigged. The race is rigged to make her yeah. look good. It's like, no, like, you guys, we're, we're all the same people watching this every week. You guys know how oval racing yeah. works, right? Like, she's a decent driver. She's good. Like, give her a chance. They don't say the same things about, like, other drivers in this series. And it's just because Haley Deegan is a woman. And it's very frustrating. But it's just, it's also even more frustrating to read this about people saying, uh, Michelle Mouton must have a different engine, uh... Well, no, it's like she's good. Special like, engine. Anyway, sorry, continue. Much like Haley Deegan, Mouton ignored the haters as she geared up for the real event of the season. Her driver debut at the 1974 World Rally Championship at the Tour de Corsa, where only a year earlier she had competed in her first race ever as a co-driver. At just 22 years old, Mouton drove her Alpine A110 to finish 12th out of 102. An amazing achievement for a first-time WRC driver at their first international rally. But Mouton held a more personal victory in all of this. Finishing this high in a WRC round meant her car was subject to a thorough check by officials, ensuring it met regulations and complied with class rules. It, of course, did. And so the rumors about her special engine stopped. <laughs> by the season's end, Mouton was crowned both the French and European ladies' champion. The following season, her car was upgraded to a 1.8 liter. She bumped her 12th place toward a course of finish up to 7th, and she maintained the title of overall ladies champion. Hell yeah. And keep in mind, this is a rear engine, rear wheel drive car that she's taken all these courses on. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I.E., it's a squirrely boy. You ever heard of snap over steer? Don't lift off the throttle in the turns, Michelle. I know I don't have to tell you that. I'm just mansplaining. <laughs> over here mansplaining one of the greatest drivers ever how to drive a car i've never driven <laughs> outside of wrc mouton dabbled in other types of racing in 1975 she entered the 24 hours of Le Mans with an all-female team made up of two other french racing bats christine decromont and marianne hoffner their chariot was a simca powered moinet lm75 with the transactal transmission from a porsche 
In the middle of the race, it began to rain hard. While other drivers slowed to adapt to the elements, Mutan threw caution to the wind and charged full speed ahead on slick tires. She started passing car after car, even the more powerful ones, as her crew radioed in, repeatedly demanding that she pit to change to wet tires. But Michelle Mouton didn't like to be told what to do. She ignored them. Michelle, you must come to the pit. We must put the tires with this with this grooves on them. Uh, bye. Beep. Oh no, Michelle! She has turned off the radio. I can't hear anything. <laughs> she hung up on me. She hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she ignored her team and she switched on her rallying brain and continued on the slicks. The team ended up finishing first in their two-liter prototype class and 21st overall. You know, class victory, not bad. Mutan says she was pushed to do more circuit racing after this, especially in Formula 3, which might have led, you know, up to Formula 2 perhaps, like Ayrton Senna, maybe up to Formula 1. But she said, quote, it wasn't my cup of tea. It was not my cup of Merlot. I loved racing alone against the clock. My character wasn't cut out for circuit racing. You know, they can only call it Merlot if it's from... Uh, Merlot, uh, France. Uh, uh, I was going to say Trader Joe's Merlot boxed wine. Uh, that's the real, <laughs> real deal stuff. While she didn't leave the circuit de la Soth with a thirst for this kind of racing, she did leave with the interest of her first major sponsor the French oil company known as Elf. 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 Uh, I've always actually wondered what Elf was because I've seen that on a lot of vintage race cars, and uh, now I know it's a French oil company, so not very surprising. Elf sponsored Mouton for the 1976 rally season, where she earned an 11th place finish at the WRC rally in Monte Carlo, as well as an impressive second place finish at both the Rally Bayonne, Côte Basque, at the ERC Criterion Alpine, that's a mouthful. However, car trouble prevented her from finish the rallies at San Remo and Tibes, and the grueling car breaker Tour de Corsa, where only 11 of 88 crews even made it to the end. Wow. The 76 season saw Mouton switch cars for the newer A310, but Mouton's career would really pick up speed in 1977 when she was signed by Fiat. She was now officially a factory driver. She had made it to the other side of the snowbank. Have you seen this A310? I've never seen this car before. It's so cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty sick. Whoa. It's got like a, it's got French uh, 300ZX vibes. I wonder if uh, our boy Giorgetto designed this. Oh. It looks very Giorgetto. Yeah. Dude, if you had that, you're like the king of every West LA car show. Dude, like... If you if you showed up to Deus in that, oh man, <laughs> you get a free coffee for sure. Dude, oh, yeah, so dude. many hype beasts would be jocking you. You'd get high five to death. This is like the most leather glove driving guy car I've uh -huh. ever seen. This was huge for Mouton, who drove not only for herself but for her earliest supporter, her father. He loved driving. She later said, "He loved fast cars, and I think he would have loved to do what I did." Pierre, her father, had been a prisoner of war for five years and never had the opportunity to compete in rallying. But his daughter's rising success allowed him to live vicariously. They were off to Fiat. For the 1977 season, Fiat had Mouton driving the 131 Abarth. And Mouton 
hated it. She said it was like a big truck, not a car, and called it terrible to drive. Which is hilarious because it's a tiny car. Yeah, which I'm sure <laughs> Fiat was totally excited about. Regardless of her feelings about the Abarth's handling, Mouton achieved consistently good results in it over the next few years. And at one point, she also raced Alancia Stratos HF, driving it to seventh in Monte Carlo. That's cool. Outside of the WRC, however, Mouton was searching for a car she felt more kindred with than the Abarth. And she found one in the Porsche 911 Carrera RS. Oh, hell yeah. This classic rear-engine, rear-wheel drive car was a step up from the Fiat and a perfect match for Mouton's fearless driving style. She drove the Porsche to victory at the race rally in Spain, her first ERC victory, as well as three second-place finishes at smaller national races in France. That year, she finished runner-up in the overall ERC to rally icon Bernard Darniche. Back on the WRC stage, 27-year-old Mouton was racking up podiums in her Fiat 131 Abarth. She came in third at the rally, Dantibes, again being eclipsed by Darniche. Darniche? <laughs> Darn again being eclipsed by Darniche. But won the 1978 Tour de France Automobile, a huge accomplishment. At the season's end, she placed fifth in the ERC standings and fourth in the FIA Cup for drivers. She was on the rise, on the path to being a great driver, but it was an unexpected call from an automotive giant that would put Michel Mouton in the halls of racing history. Audi. Yes, that Audi extended an offer to Mouton to drive for the manufacturer in the 1981 season, and she enthusiastically accepted. She said, quote, wee wee. Signing with Audi <laughs> meant she, she would be on a team with her longtime idol, Hanu Mikula of Finland. He was always way up there for me, says Mouton, one of the greats. Mikula proved an enthusiastic mentor. He shared his tricks of the trade and taught her left foot braking, which radically improved her driving. Ah, that's crazy. She got this far without like doing that. That is. Yeah. He also helped adapt her driving style to fit Audi's radical new rally car that they'd be debuting that season. The turbocharged all-wheel drive Quattro S1. Audi's Quattro S1 was a 2.1 liter fuel-injected straight five Toot, toot. Making 540 horsepowers to the crank. Beyond that, it was the first turbocharged and first all-wheel drive rally car, a vehicle that would revive interest in the sport and also change the game forever. Like, like we people say change the game forever a lot, but rarely does something literally change the game forever. <laughs> you know, like this is like a new ball in basketball. Like this is like the three-point line. Like... I think it's like like in Flubber when he puts Flubber on the bottom of his shoe yeah. and then he's really good at basketball. Yeah, I remember when exactly. they talked about that in uh, The Last Dance. That was like such a huge moment for the NBA. Yeah, that, then they were finally able to beat the Monstars <laughs> and take, take the Earth back or whatever happened. But beyond Mikola or the legendary Quattro, perhaps the most notable thing Audi gave Michelle Mouton was 26-year-old Italian co-driver Fabrizia Pons. Pons was focused, calm, and endearingly quirky with her thick, oversized grandma glasses. She looks really like now she look looks like a hipster, like if she <laughs> lived nowadays. But back then it's like, hey, you're 26 and you're wearing these like granny glasses. She's cool. She's super cool. She had formerly been a motocross racer and rally driver before switching to co-driving. 
experience and knowledge that undoubtedly improved her work as a navigator. Cars come and go, but the partnership between Mouton and Pons would last a lifetime. Audi debuted the Quattro at Monte Carlo in 1981. It handled the treacherous snowy roads like a champ, totally outmatching the rear-wheel drive cars like the Opel Ascana 400 and the Renault 5 Turbo. Unfortunately though, Mikola and Mutan were both forced to retire. Mikola after a crash and Mutan due to her fuel being contaminated with sand. Sand, mm. it gets everywhere. <laughs> but even so, their stunning performances and speed in the earlier stages proved the Quattro was a force to be reckoned with. Things went better at the WRC event in Portugal. Mutan was the first Audi to finish and took fourth in the rally overall. But then the season took a dip. A camshaft gave way in Corsica, forcing her to retire, and she was excluded from the Acropolis rally after irregularities were discovered with her and her teammates' cars. In Finland, when Mikola squeaked out a finish in third, Mutan was back in 13th. Then came the serpentine, multi-surface, car-destroying rally in San Remo, Italy. With Pons calmly uttering directions, Mutan tore through the course over tarmac and gravel. But on the final day, their drive shaft broke. But they were in first, with Finnish driver Henry Toivonen pushing hard in second. With one stage to go, Mutan turned to her co-driver and said, quote, One of us, meaning her, Henry, will make a mistake and not finish the event. So for me, I will take this stage as if it was the first stage of the rally, not the last one. Like there's not any pressure on anything. That's exactly how she drove. And sure enough, Henry Toivonen made the error. Mouton and Pons beat him by over three minutes, making history in the process. Michelle Mouton not only secured the first win for Audi and for an all-wheel drive car, but became the first, and to this day, only woman to win a WRC rally. So the drive shaft broke, where, did it just become like two-wheel drive then? I would assume so. I'm I'm betting that the drive shaft uh, like probably got, went in a two wheel drive and then they were able to limp it to the end stage, replace the shaft, and then just drive calmly. But high flyers don't fly high for long. Ask a bird. Following the San Remo victory, Mouton saw a stretch of crashes and finished eighth at the end of the season, compared to her teammate Mikola's third. The nineteen eighty two season started with a return to Monte Carlo, a rally that proved problematic for Mouton time and time again. It was stage 12. She had just set the fastest time for the treacherous cold de Torini mountain pass and was cruising in third when she hit a patch of ice, slid off the road, and slammed it into a stone wall at 70 miles per hour. Co-driver Fabrizia Pons suffered a concussion and Mouton a knee injury, but both made a quick recovery and they returned to the rally stage, this time in Sweden. So just to clarify, uh, on that San Remo rally that she won, her crew... Uh, helped repair the broken drive shaft, but it okay. cut it cut the lead down to 36 seconds. They were like three minutes ahead. They broke the drive shaft. The dudes came to fix it, and then she barely got back in time to re- like maintain her first place. Wow, that's insane! So it broke on the course, and they fi- she was so far ahead that even fixing it on the course wasn't enough yeah. to wow bring her back. That's crazy. That's really yeah. impressive. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. 
The Swedish rally is a notoriously difficult rally through the snow that generally only saw top points go into the local snow-acquainted Scandinavians. Mouton shook that up in her debut performance, and despite a crash in the snow with teammate Mikula that knocked her out of third place, she managed to secure fifth. In Portugal, she found herself back at the top with, a, with her second WRC win. At the Acropolis rally in Greece, she earned another, finishing six minutes ahead of her arch-rival, Walter Roll of Germany. Beating Roll was especially sweet to Mouton, not just because he was the front runner, having won the previous year's WRC, but also because he was an unabashed misogynist. As the season progressed, Roll said he would accept second place in the championship to Mikola, but not to Mouton. This is not because I doubt her capabilities as a driver, but because she is a woman. Jesus. Certified, yeah. Mouton and Roll would face off again at the Rally of Brazil, a chaotic four-day, 1,500-mile, car-destroying event that would end up being canceled just a few years later. Due to poor organization, some of the public roads weren't even successfully closed for the race. Crews were dropping like flies. In one of the final stages, Brazilian driver Thomas Fuchs flew off the road, plunged 60 feet into a lake, and was killed. Eventually, Mouton was one of only five cars left, including Roll. But on the last day of the rally, the German driver lost a wheel and Mouton clinched first for a third WRC win that year. A spot on the podium and a slap in the face for Roll. Nice. The end of the 1982 season saw some personal hardship for 31-year-old Mouton. Just before the start of the Cote d'Ivoire rally in Africa, she received news that her father Pierre had passed away. This was especially hard for Mouton, who cited her dad's support as the secret to her success. He and her mother had attended all of her rallies. Fittingly so, Pierre's dying wish was for his daughter to start the race. So, Mouton blinked away tears, suited up, and set out to make her father proud. Wow. She dominated throughout the long, sweltering rally where the temperatures inside the cars were estimated to be up to 158 degrees Fahrenheit. What? That's like literally the temperature that you are supposed to cook chicken to. (laughs) Yeah. So you don't get sick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like that's when you pull it out of the oven so yeah. you don't because it it keeps cooking. It's 165, but you can you yeah. should pull it out about, at about 158 cuz it's going to keep going. Dude, I, you are you a rest. cook? You yeah, should man. cook. I've never cooked before. I've only watched YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they're on top of that, they're wearing fire suits yeah. and uh helmets, just, which is one of the hottest hats. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. If not yeah. the hottest hat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a hat that's hotter than a helmet. Anyway, halfway through the race, she was leading from roll by over an hour. Whoa. Even after losing 25 minutes to transmission issues. That's crazy. I mean, that just shows, one, her ability, but also, like, how freaking good that Audi was. On day three, this lead shrank to only 18 by minutes. By far the hottest hat I have. this is a hot hat for our uh audio listeners uh james has put on his uh his helmet um to great comedic effect you guys should i wish you guys could have seen that if she could beat roll at the cote de she'd reduce his lead over her in the overall standings to a mere two points on the final day with mechanical problems mounting bouton's car had to have a complete fuel injection system swap she and Roll were now neck and neck, but on the last leg of the race, Mutan went off the road and rolled her car. Amazingly, 
She drove her battered Quattro three more miles, but is busted beyond repair, and she was forced to retire. That's always so amazing when you see like uh, rally car drivers like flip and then just like start their car again and like get back on the road. Oh yeah, it's a different different breed, man. Yeah. Mouton pushed on, and the 1982 season still proved to be her best. She clinched second place at the RAC which uh, made Audi the first German mark to win the manufacturer's world title. That's amazing. That Wow. That was the first time. At the season's end, she placed 13 points ahead of idol-turned-teammate Hanu Mikula. But despite edging out her rival role in multiple rallies, she remained 12 points behind him in the standings and placed second overall, narrowly missing the championship. Her amazing season did not go unnoticed, however. And that year, she was given the International Rally Driver of the Year Award at the inaugural Autosports Awards Gala. Even Fabrizia Pons won big, receiving the Halda Trophy, the highest honor for a co-driver. Not only is Walter Rohrl, like, I, uh, my like view of him has gone down since reading all this, his name is also really annoying to pronounce. Yeah, every <laughs> like every time I see it in the, in the script, I'm like, <laughs> Walter Roll. 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 Man, you got too much fing going on in your name, dog. <laughs> Dots and H. Clean it up. Yeah, clean it up. You got three <laughs> consonants in a row, dog. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> Get some vowels Looking. in there. Get some vowels in there, you dork. <laughs> when you were in school, were you taught like that? Consonants were boys and vowels were girls. What? No. What? In, kin- what? in kindergarten, <laughs> in kindergarten, all the vowels were girls and all the consonants were boys. And I guess Y is like um, fluid, androgynous. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I never heard that. That's bananas. I think, I think it's like like there was like this teaching kit that like included like some like personified like letters yeah that was on our wall i think it ha- it came with like a song you know to like teach yeah, us all okay. the, le- the letters yeah and all the consonants were there was like i'm c i'm cool as cucumber and <laughs> and all the vowels were girls i mean that's i don't that's weird how like once you start realizing how everything is so gendered yeah it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Letters like literally do not have gender, but we're going to make 21 of them men. <laughs> okay, but now here's my question. Where do number what were the numbers like? Uh no, they weren't nothing. They were just numbers. That's so weird. Funny. It's like it's like somehow somehow they figured out how to make women less represented in the alphabet (laughs) (laughs) yeah everyone knows s is a woman right s S is a guy what no s is s is like a curvy woman yeah yeah let's rewrite it that's unreal dude no i Mm -hmm. uh, that's so crazy looking back perhaps it's for the best that mutan's father a man so concerned with his daughter's safety passed on when he did because an even more perilous league of rallying was about to be born Oh boy. Group B. If rallying was already an extreme sport, 
1983's emergence of Group B took things to an insane next level. Just finishing these races alive was a feat. So naturally, Michelle Mouton, with her world-famous tenacity and need for speed, was all in. Group B is awesome. Group B cars are some of the coolest cars ever built. Group B is a bad idea. <laughs> While Group A cars had more restrictions and were essentially production cars turned into rally cars, the Group B rally class had very few restrictions, and its cars were designed for rallies specifically, then turned into production cars. Uh, they're basically like in, in our uh, uh, McLaren series, we talked about the Can-Am cars in uh -huh. the 70s. These are basically Can-Am cars. That you drive in the woods. Yeah, that you drive <laughs> in the woods in Finland. Yeah. Um, like group, B group, group B is like if you took the NFL, right? You took football. And then you were like, all right, guys, no helmets, no pads. Uh, you don't have to wear any of that stuff. Also, you're allowed to do any drugs that you want. <laughs> you can do steroids. You can do meth. You can do freaking PCP. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Start your engines. <laughs> you don't have to wear pads. You can do drugs. And also, here's a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of you have cars. <laughs> yeah, so Group B cars needed a roof, two seats, and you had to keep its weight as low as possible. And that was pretty much it. These lax regulations resulted in super light, aerodynamic speed racers with all-wheel drive and huge engines that in some cases cranked out more than 500 horsepower. These machines were perfect for Mouton, who never shied away from cars that were considered too difficult to drive. More and more manufacturers entered into the sport. Spectatorship rocketed. Group B had ushered in the golden age of rally. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Huge crowds would come out to witness automotive power in its rawest form, up close and personal with fans lining the treacherous courses as they themselves were the barriers. It was like spectators at a golf tournament, only instead of a golf ball being chipped a few yards away, fire-breathing road monsters were screeching and skidding around corners and missing spectators by literally inches or not missing them at all. There are unconfirmed reports of mechanics finding blood, hair, and even severed fingers while cleaning out air intakes on rally cars. Oh my God. Mouton said one of her biggest fears was that something would break in her car, preventing her from hitting a spectator. Her secret to being able to compete in such conditions, pretending the fans along the course were trees. Sometimes I pretend to be a tree. <laughs> I'm not a tree, Michelle. I'm not a tree. <laughs> Mouton's first Group B race at Monte Carlo ended terribly when Mouton once again slid on ice and slammed into a stone wall at over 60 miles per hour. According to Michelle, the accident happened because she was forced to dodge a photographer. Luckily, she and Pons went unharmed, but the car was wrecked. She did well in Portugal and at the exhausting safari rally in Kenya, one of Mouton's favorites, where she drove on three wheels for 13 miles to clinch third place. Wow. She... She even managed awesome. a fourth-place finish in Sweden as the only non-Scandinavian to place in the top 20. Nice. At the Tour de Corsa, Mouton debuted Audi's Quattro A2. This newer model was 155 pounds lighter with an engine that put out 30 more horsepower than the A1. But Mouton was forced to retire when her engine caught fire. 
Her car caught fire again at the rally in New Zealand, but she was able to salvage it and complete the race by taking teammate Mikula's advice to drive into, into a lake. <laughs> drive into a lake! <laughs> More crashes, engine fires, and other mechanical failures would continue to drag Mouton down in the standings as she finished fifth overall. In 1984, Mouton scaled back and only raced as a part-time team member. But that didn't stop her from taking second in Sweden. The best result for a non-Scandinavian driver in a long, long time. And the highest finish for a French driver for 30 years until Sebastian Loeb's win in 2004. But more mechanical failures made for an underwhelming season. And that Sweden number two would prove to be her last WRC podium finish. Her debut at Pikes Peak International Hill Climb in the U.S., however, was a different story. For those who don't know, hill climbing is a form of racing where drivers compete against the clock on an entirely uphill course. And back when Mouton was racing it, it was still unpaved, so the course was on gravel. The Pikes Peak race in Colorado is also known as the race to the clouds, with cars reaching such high altitudes they'd emerge above the clouds. Some drivers even wear oxygen masks. As first-time entrants, Mouton and Pons placed second overall and won the open rally class, now known as the unlimited class. They had averaged 97 miles per hour in their five-cylinder quattro, now modded specifically for, for the hill climb with 600 horsepower, beating all the more powerful V8 single-seater race cars. That's pretty cool. The following season, 34-year-old Mouton continued to scale back on WRC driving, only competing in one major international race, the rally at Côte d'Ivoire. She damaged her car, but kept racing after she seemingly recovered. Only there was scandalous confusion about what car she was racing in exactly. Audi's team was accused of cheating by swapping Mouton's damaged car for one of the mechanic's high-speed chase cars. Despite denying these claims, Audi wouldn't produce the missing chase car when asked, and despite finishing fifth, Mouton was disqualified. While the incident didn't cause lasting damage to her career, Mouton was a proud woman, and the whole ordeal was an embarrassment. She finished a disappointing 12th in the Drivers' Championship, one point behind Walter Rowe. Oh, no. Man, Pike's Peak... Seems like, I mean, when it was dirt, one of the scariest things to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just driving like on stunt or like one of those canyon roads is really scary. A return to the 1985 Pikes Peak Hill Climb would overshadow any bad press as Mouton set her sights on eclipsing last year's second place finish and taking the title outright as a solo driver. The event started out with drama as Mouton was caught speeding just five miles per hour over the limit in the pits during practice. The organizers decided to make an example of her. According to Mouton, it was like it was the first time they saw a rally car or a turbocharged car, even a European or a woman. They put her before a small tribunal, lectured her on safety, fined her, and then had the audacity to penalize her by making her start out of the car, a seemingly arbitrary punishment. At the start, Mouton would have to jump in, belt up, and then go, like uh, they used to do in Le Mans. But Audi made the obvious point that such punishment for Mouton's previous safety risk was an extreme safety risk. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah. Organizers relented and let Mouton start belted inside the car, but a mechanic had to push her to the start line in neutral, and she wasn't allowed to put the car in gear until the clock started. In Mouton's own words, when you make my life difficult, you give me more motivation. It's so dumb. It's like... You were, you were caught going a couple miles over in the pit. Now you have to start with a blindfold and <laughs> yeah. only one arm. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> okay, you can only wear, you can't wear any shoes. 
<laughs> you can only use your one big toe. <laughs> <laughs> the race to the clouds ends with four turns. Three of them, drivers take flat out, but the second turn is too treacherous to do so, and drivers lift off the gas to avoid soaring off the edge of the cliff at outrageous speeds. Mouton, with more to prove than ever, decided not to lift. He took the second corner flat out. The car was on the edge, skidding the line between victory and death. That day, it would be victory. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Even with the deck stacked against her, Mouton set a new record on the course, beating competitor Bobby Unser's 1982 record by an incredible 13 seconds. Unser did not <laughs> handle his defeat with grace. As he angrily spouted off on being beaten by a French woman in a German car, Mouton's cool response was, If you had any real balls, you'd race me back down as well. Hell yeah. After a mixed final season with Audi, Mouton moved on to drive for Peugeot in 1986, where she'd get behind the wheel of the 205 T16. After five years with Audi, said Mouton, the Peugeot felt like a very nice toy. Fabrizia <laughs> had gotten married and taken a break from rallying. Uh, Mouton's new co-driver was the perfectly named Terry Harriman, who had been, <laughs> who had previously co-driven for prolific rallier Ari Vatanen. Unfortunately, mechanical issues prevented Mouton from finishing either of the two WRC events she entered that year, Corsica and the ever-troublesome Monte Carlo. At the German Rally Championship, however, she won the majority of the events and took home the champion title. The first and only woman to do so. There's a really funny uh, video of Terry Harriman, like actually shitting his pants as a co-driver. What? They're going through this like mountain course, and there's a point where there's like cattle gates that make the road narrower, and the driver loses control right before the cattle gates, mm -hmm. and you just hear him go like, "Oh dear God!" And then afterwards. He was like talking to a reporter or something. He was like, yeah, I pooped my pants. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, man. No, it happens. Doesn't. Yeah, man, you get older, <laughs> you're going to start pooping your pants once in a while. Yeah, I probably will. I might do it just for fun. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not fun. Don't. I mean, unless you're on a, in like a rally car, it's probably pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty. That's the only justification. Anyway, Group B was on its way out. Safety concerns had already risen after a series of high-profile accidents in which drivers and spectators were killed, but the tipping point came that year at the Tour de Corsa. Henry Toivonen and his co-driver, Sergio Cresto, went off the road in their Lancia Delta S4 and plunged into a ravine where the car exploded almost instantly. Toivonen and Cresto were killed, and the FIA banned Group B within hours. Group B was done, and Mouton decided to go out with it. She announced her retirement after the 86 season. Quote, Henry's death was really sad because he was a dear friend and we had very good times together. But it was the decision that followed to stop the Group B cars that ended rallying for me. At that and the desire to start a family with longtime boyfriend Claude Garneri, a Corsican sports journalist. Their daughter Jessie was born the following year and Mouton began the longest, toughest, most rewarding rally of her life, motherhood. Hmm. After retirement, Mouton kept a low profile, but didn't step away from the racing world entirely. In 1988, she co-founded the Race of Champions, an international motorsport event in memory of her friend, Henry Toivonen. That event's still around to this day. Uh, it's very interesting to watch. That, I mean, 
They, they do a bunch of different styles of racing. It's really cool. That same year, she joined the Peugeot service team for rally raids, driving a Peugeot 205 T16 Grand Raid chase car and transporting spare parts for the drivers. That's pretty cool. That's a cool retirement for a rally driver. Yeah, that's, a yeah, that's super cool. At the Tunisia rally, she not only carried out her service team duties, but also participated in the racing, coming in sixth in a chase car. <laughs> that's so bad. That's awesome. That's uh, You can't turn it off at that point. You're like, no. okay, I'm here to help, but I, re I really just kind of want to race. Over the years, people tried unsuccessfully to lure the Mouton Ponds Dream Team out of retirement, but they finally got their wish at the International Rally of Otago in 2008, where Mouton and Fabrizia Pons, both in their 50s now, reunited for the first time in 24 years to drive their 43rd rally together in a Ford Escort RS 1800, where they placed 34th. It's it, When you watch video of this, it's like amazing to see these like women just snap back into it and just be like, all right, this is exactly where we left off. It's really cool video of this. It's like when your mom and her friend go to like Santa Ynez to do wine tasting, but instead it's like, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go compete in a rally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 2009, Mutan helped create the FIA's Women in Motorsport Commission and has served as its president to this day. Because the title of president wasn't good enough, Mutan was also made a knight in the Legion of Honor by French President Sarkozy in 2011. And in 2012, she was inducted into the Rally Hall of Fame. She is now a representative for the FIA and oversees the World Rally Championship amongst golfing, traveling, and spending time with her dogs. Hell yeah. It's important to acknowledge the significance Mutan being a woman brought to the history she made. But it's just as important to not confine her legacy to that. Mutan never wanted her womanhood to set her apart. She simply wanted to be seen as a driver and as a competitor. A tactless interviewer once asked her if she, quote, shared most girls' nervousness when the next corner loomed, to which Mutan confidently replied, everyone shits their pants sometimes, <laughs> whether man or woman. What is... No, so we it's don't. Only, it's only a matter of time, James. <laughs> It's only a matter of time. I think I'm jinxing myself. I'm setting myself really, up to poop You're talking so much. You're talking too much <laughs> on James. <laughs> Among so many other milestones, Michelle Mouton is still the only woman to place second in a World Rally Championship and the only woman to place first in a WRC event. These titles were secured nearly 50 years ago. That's too long. It's up to all of us to put an end to the gatekeeping and toxicity that has dominated the car community for so long. I mean, that's part of our freaking ethos, man. If, uh, if you haven't figured that out by now, that's what Donut's about. Share Mouton's story with your friends. Share this podcast with your friends. Support the women in your life who are also into motorsports. It's not that hard. Uh, and make sure your daughter knows that she too can grow up to shit her pants in the driver's seat of a world-class rally car. <laughs> that's a great closing <laughs> sentence. Man, it's... Okay, I was thinking about this. It's just like, who cares, uh, you know, if they're a woman or not. Just to appreciate their raw talent for what it is, you know. We don't need to, like, ascribe certain notions to it or whatever. We don't need to put an asterisk on any of their wins because of some dumb, like, I think, so we, should many, put like, an asterisk. I think we should be required to put an asterisk by anybody's win if they poop their pants while racing. I support that. <laughs> I support that. Because I want to know. No, I want to know. Okay, I've heard two stories in this podcast of rally drivers pooping their pants. How often does it happen? 
Do you poop your pants once a season? <laughs> That's why I would never wear a, a white racing suit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's like when I was a kid, I did junior drag racing. And as I kind of mentioned earlier in the show, drag racing is as far as like men and women competing together goes, like it's not uncommon for a woman to be in the sport. And as a kid, the girls had better reaction times than the boys. But anyway, the point is, is like at a young age, I think that's like where I learned that like, oh, women can be just as dominant as men in motorsport. Everyone drives a car the same way, you know? It's good car and skill. If you have a hard time accepting that, I hope this kind of opened your eyes a little bit because Michelle Matan's a bad. Um, if you're if you're a gal out there, if you're like a young gal out there, and you want to get into racing, you can. We need more women in all aspects of cars. We need more diversity. Yeah. It's a, there's a lot of freaking white dudes around here. Yeah, we got 97% male audience <laughs> watching Donut. We'd love to even that out a little bit. Yeah, um, let's get rid of these white guys with facial hairs on podcasts. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with that... Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I had a great time doing this one. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I just want to I just want to mention this was written by a woman and it's going to be edited by a woman. Uh, thank you, Bridget, the new editor of this show slash producer and Rachel Foreman, my soon to be wife and writer of this. Actually, I would like to extend a thanks to Kanan, our producer uh, for so long on the show. Uh, Kanan, Kanan really led the charge on making this show really good and what it is today. And uh, he's he's helping out Jeremiah with Bumper to Bumper. Kanan did so much to help the show. And I'm really, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. Yeah, thank you, Kanan. Thanks for watching. Recommend the show to your friends if they need something to listen to. <laughs> Subscribe to Donut on YouTube if you haven't already. Gentlemen, take it away. Mustard on the beat. <laughs> Mustard on the beat. <laughs> All right. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow James at James Humphrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Donut at Donut Media. Be kind. Keep it juiced. Keep it juiced, Wink Wink Nation. <laughs>